So in um, 2006, I was uh, not at a very good place in life, and been out of church for about three years, and my cousin asked me to go to church with her. It was a newly planted church in downtown Olympia, and I decided to go. Uh, and it wasn't long after that that uh, the Lord worked mightily in my heart to bring me to a place of repentance. Uh, it wasn't that I had ever outwardly, uh, verbally denied the Lord with my words, but my life was far from that uh, standard of holiness which God had called us to. And I spent about the next 10 years of my life at that church, and the Lord really used that church in many mighty ways in my life. It's where I met Katie. It's where I formed some of my closest friendships in my 20s. And it was a place in which I grew in my faith and the knowledge of Scripture. But also, uh, but, and there were a lot of things to commend about that church. Uh, taught regularly, systematically, verse by verse through the Bible. Uh, the people there understood that faith in Christ is the central and most important thing of their life. Uh, had a male elders. And uh, the people took the call to holiness seriously. However, the church was also very unstable. Uh, the pastor, the initial founding pastor, was, was in his young 30s, and all of his elders were younger than him. And 90% of the congregation was between the age of 18 and 35. Some people may have called this an emerging church or a hipster church. You can put different labels on it. I think you get the idea. Uh, it was, a, at very least, a young people's church. And that... Uh, did not provide for much wisdom and solid grounding that often older generations will bring to a church body. And it was within three years that there was a 100% turnover in all the leadership of the church, the pastor and all three elders. And so uh, it, was a, it was a hard thing for someone who had recently come back to the faith to uh, see all these men who had been leading me, shepherding me, and see so much turmoil in them, them being burnt out discouraged, falling into sin. Uh, so a new cycle of leadership came into the church, and uh, with that new cycle of leadership, there were new emphases and new focus coming. You could say that this new direction was called being a missional church. Uh, and here's a glimpse of uh, the direction that the new uh, generation of leadership took our church in. Uh, there was a great deal of preaching that related to being on mission or talking about the mission of God. Um, however, the importance was never of the church was never centered on the corporate gathering of the body, but rather the, 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 the emphasis of the church was on our going out in these missional communities throughout uh, the region. And there were like uh, community groups or small groups, which some of you may have been in small groups or know people who have been in small groups at other churches, but this was a lot more than that because these missional communities had a mission. That is, there's a sub-region in the city, whether it was a neighborhood or a school or a people group, uh, which these missional communities were to intentionally engage and find ways to interact with, to bless, and to evangelize. And I think there's a lot to commend in the intentions of what uh, the leadership was desiring. They desired to see a church that wasn't just so inwardly focused, but that understood that our, our call as Christians is to be out in the world. But there were also some things going wrong. Uh, some, some of the underlying ideas about what Scripture teaches, which weren't quite right, and also 
some underlying ideas about what the church is and what the church should look like. And it was in this season that I found myself reading blog posts by a guy named Kevin DeYoung, one of the authors of the book uh, that we are reading this year for our book study. And as I read DeYoung on mission, I found that he was saying very, very different things than what my church leaders were saying. And so the, through this next season of my life, I was simultaneously reading DeYoung and, and seeing what he said about the church and what he said about the mission of the church while my leaders were saying different things. I was simultaneously leading, helping to lead one of these missional communities while also having monthly conversation with my pastor and one of the elders about whether or not this was really the direction that our church should be going. And uh, all through this season, uh, DeYoung was really helping me form my thoughts about what I thought about mission, what I thought about the church. And after several years of conversations, several years of discussion, several years of me continuing to develop my understanding of theology, my understanding of the church, my understanding of ecclesiology, uh, eventually I came to a point where he had to peacefully part ways with that church. Not because I think that they were in gross heresy, but because I did think that there were some crucial things about how they understood the church and our place in the world uh, differently than I had come. And it was very, became very hard to walk hand in hand with that church. And so we, we uh, made the difficult decision of uprooting ourselves, and we ended up here. And uh, it was one of the best decisions I've made in my life. We've loved being here ever since. So why this intro? Well, again, we're reading this book, What is the Mission of the Church? And this is a topic that I clearly have some background with and that I have some very personal experiences with. But you might be asking yourself, well, what does that have to do with us? You guys aren't trying to make us a missional church. That's not really a conversation I'm, might, you might not be familiar with. Uh, but I think that there are some serious reasons why this book can be a huge blessing to us in our church at this time as well. First of all, I think this book is going to inform us about a very important topic, which is the mission of the church. This is a question that we and our, the people of our church need to be able to answer. And this provides an excellent treatment of the topic. And I'll say it again and again, my favorite thing about this book is that they're continuously going back to scripture, not as just kind of passing um, proof text, but looking at key passages and spending several pages of text trying to understand what the texts are actually saying. So it's a great for informing us. But I think it's also going to help shape us as a church and things that we already hold to and believe, but uh, continue to strengthen us in that. Uh, we live in a time where there's much discussion around culture, justice, race, and politics. And I believe that this book is going to help ground us in what the church is fundamentally about. And when we're grounded in what the church is most fundamentally about, it will allow us to then answer some of these questions more clearly. Because we think, well, how does the church relate to justice? How does the re church relate to poverty? How does the church relate to culture? I think we can better answer those questions when we understand what the church is to, about, to be about. And I also think that hope and think that this book will challenge us. It does address these issues of culture, justice, and poverty. And we're going to have to look at what Scripture really does say. And I think there might be some areas where we may, as individuals, need to make some adjustments. But in order to make the right kinds of adjustments, we have to actually understand what the Scripture actually says about each one of these things. And that's where these gentlemen who wrote this book are an incredibly helpful guide. 
So my goal this morning is really twofold. First, I want to help you see what the book is basically about. Those of you who are in the book study and reading it, I just want to make sure that you understand the basic ideas. I don't want you to be halfway through the book and asking yourself, so what is the mission of the church? So I want to make sure we have a clear answer to that. And, and so we can spend a little bit of time developing that, especially since the guys in my book study didn't think that they provided a clear answer in the first chapter. Um, and then for those of you who aren't reading the book, who don't have the opportunity, have too, too much on your plate already, and have said pass, I, I want you to be able to still be a part of the conversation. So hopefully I'll be uh, sharing enough of what the book says that you're able to still have conversations around the issues uh, going on in the book. The second goal for this morning is I, I want to orient you with a bigger discussion within evangelicalism that this book is responding to. This book isn't ri- wasn't written in a vacuum, and a large part of the book is responding to things that other people have said, other things that people have written, other ideas that churches have embraced. And so in many ways, this morning lesson, I'm going to leave you at the end of the day with more questions than answers. Uh, because we have the book to, continue to read, and we, have, we will be having a monthly Sunday school lesson that go along with the chapters as well. So uh, today is really kind of getting you to ask the questions, so as we get into the book, into the Sunday school lessons, we can see how, what some of these answers are as we move through that. So really, if I simply make you more interested in the questions this morning, I'm going to, um, in asking questions around mission, around some of the topics that I'm going to be addressed, then that will be a job well done. So with that said, let's, let's get in, and oh yeah, I had that. That was actually the church that we attended. So, um, and again, there was a lot of things that I appreciated about the people there and what it was doing. It just, there were some things that couldn't continue to walk with. And there's the authors, you can tell uh, which one's a little bit more nerdy. Okay, so let, let's answer this. Um, that, that's Kevin DeYoung. He's, hold on. What is the mission of the church? Let's just get this cleared out of the way and answered right up front, especially since uh, the guys in my book group did, didn't think that it was clearly answered, and I told them that, okay, I'll make sure that, that we get a clear answer to this. So what we see in the first chapter is they essentially open up by saying, well, what even is this question? Why is this important? What does the word mission mean? Then they address some of their purposes in writing the book. And then they provide their answer to the question, uh, what is the mission of the church? And that's where I'd like to begin. So here's what we see in the first chapter. And maybe you'll see why they didn't think it was very direct and clear. In short, we will argue that the mission of the church is summarized in the Great Commission passages, the climactic marching orders Jesus issues at the ends of the Gospels and at the beginning of Acts. We believe the church is sent into the world to witness to Jesus by proclaiming the Gospel and making disciples of all nations. This is our task. This is our unique and central calling. I gotta say, I was trying to say that was really clear, and then I, so I was putting this together. I was like, okay, that's, that's a bit wordy. But let's just strip out some of the stuff in the middle. Same statement, just with uh, some of the stuff taken out. The mission of the church is to witness to Jesus by proclaiming the gospel and making disciples of all nations. That a little bit better? Well, apparently DeYoung and Gilbert didn't think themselves that they were sufficiently clear in first chapter because at the end of the second chapter, they answer the question again. Same ideas, no contradiction, but different words. 
So if you were to jump ahead to 62, you see that they say the mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit, gathering these disciples into churches that they might worship the Lord and obey his commands now and in eternity to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Yeah, good stuff there. I like that. You like that one better, Scott? Okay. That's good. And then, they, as a middle school math teacher, I realized you cannot say things enough times in enough different ways to try to help people understand it. And I think that they understand that adults aren't that different. Okay? Because they say, again, a little bit further at the end of chapter 2, at the very last sentence of chapter 2. So here it is again. The mission of the church, as seen in the Great Commission, the early church in Acts and the life of the Apostle Paul is to win people to Christ and build them up in Christ, making disciples. That's our task. Any questions? So what's the mission? Yeah. <laughs> Anybody want to restate that for Nick? That's what I do in class. Yeah, Doug. So going back to reality church, uh -huh. would they have disagreed with that statement? Yeah, that's a good question. Some of these things, like, well, that sounds good, but... Um, how do you do it? Yeah, how do you do it? Yeah, that's part of the question. So methodologically, going about the mission of Yeah. No, I don't know if you guys caught that. Doug was asking, would reality have uh, disagreed with this statement on paper? No. So some of the, the question isn't just how we state it. It's how this actually gets worked out, and that's why a whole book, part of why a whole book is needed to address some of these issues because people can agree to the statements, but then have radically different ways of understanding what that actually means, what that looks like. So before we get too far, oh yeah, and I do think it's important to um, read the text of the Great Commission. We've said their definition, but we really should look at the Bible's own words on this, because this is where they're going to be going over and over again. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we see what they're saying is the mission of the church. We see that they're going to use this text as uh, the central uh, point of discussion in this book. And though I don't go deeply into a lot of scripture this morning, we can think about a lot of what I'm talking about is the questions that emerge out of this text. How does this text fall within the whole of scripture? And how do we make of the sense of the imperatives within it? But before we go too much further, we do just need to get out of the way, just be clear what we mean by this word mission. This word isn't necessarily itself in the scripture. And as uh, those of you who read books and engage in the world of ideas, definitions are very important. And so if this is in the central question, so they define mission as a specific task or purpose that the church is sent into the world to accomplish. So just notice some of those central words in this idea, task or purpose. So they are assuming that God has given a specific thing for the church to accomplish. And some of the questions that emerge out of that is I don't know that anybody would actually deny that we're supposed to make disciples, but is there more to that? Is the church also supposed to accomplish um, 
the building of the kingdom. Is the church supposed to accomplish, um, to be the agency in which God establishes justice in the world? Is the church supposed to uh, accomplish or to achieve uh, poverty relief or creation care in the world? Are these the tasks that the church has been given? Or is the task of the church fundamentally to go and make disciples? And different people have defined this word in different ways. You look at, you know, right down the page, but in the first chapter there's a footnote in which they write some of the books that they're engaging with. And not everybody's going to agree with them on mission. Not everybody's going to agree with their definition of mission. And they list 25 books that they've been engaging with. Some they agree with, some they partially agree with, some that they strongly disagree with. I'm going to just show you those books real quick, just so you get an idea that this is a big conversation that's being had among evangelicals, probably among friends. Some of you maybe read some of these books and maybe engaging these ideas yourself. Uh, we see uh, Christian mission in the world, in the modern world, the gospel in a pluralist society, the open secret, transforming mission, gospel mission in the writing of Paul, missional church, the mission of Jesus and the disciples, changing the mind of missions, salvation to the ends of the earth, the biblical theology of mission, to live in peace, biblical faith, and the changing inner, and the changing inner city, engaging God's world, early Christian missions, Creation Regained, Paradigms in Conflict, Breaking the Missional Code, The Mission of God, The Ministry of the Missional Church, To Change the World, The Forgotten Ways, Generous Justice, Let the Nations Be Glad, Radical, Reaching and Teaching, Natural Law and Two Kingdoms, and The Mission of God's People. Don't worry, I'm not going to pretend to even engage with all the different ideas in all those different books just want to make you aware that this is a big conversation. There's a lot of people with lots of different ideas out there, and they're weighing in on this. And of the stuff that I've read, of the stuff I've heard, I've been the most helped by what they've said about it. But to just pick one of them, this last one, the mission of God's people, I, I think that would be one alternative view to the idea of mission that is helpful to at least get a glimpse of. So I ch Christopher J.H. Wright, is that a name that's familiar to folks? Not really. I wasn't thinking so. Um, I don't know that much about him other than that he was a, one of the lead figures of the Lausanne Conference in 2010, Lausanne Conference on World Evangelization. It was a massive gathering of evangelicals from around the world for the, for the sake of thinking about evangelism of the world. Um, the original Lausanne was made back in 1972, and I believe that Billy Graham was involved with that, and uh, John Stott was another major figure in that movement. Uh, my point is these are guys who have a big, big influence on global eva uh, evangelicalism. And Christopher J.H. Wright is going to say that the mission of the church is equal to the mission of God. Now, who wants to disagree with that? It, sound, it sounds, sounds good and so, and, uh, on the surface. But I think as we look at some of the ways that this is worked out, there's uh, things that we need to be aware of, maybe even concerned with. Uh, he, he put it in these terms. Everything a Christian in a Christian church is, says, and does should be missional in its conscious participation in the mission of God in God's world. So like I said, this is a common idea of mission in the world of evangelicalism, and it's been around for a while. 
uh, uh, Chris Wright was a, a disciple of John Stott. I'm guessing maybe that's a name that's a little bit more familiar to some of you. That, uh, and because John Stott did some really great work. Uh, he defended penal substitutionary atonement and uh, the authority and inerrancy of scripture, especially in British evangelicalism. Uh, but Stott also had this idea of mission, and I think it's in him that we can kind of see where maybe this can be concerning. Stott was, had said that we give the Great Commission too prominent a place in our Christian thinking. I think we're, I, I'm going to disagree. DeYoung and Gilbert are going to disagree with that. That's hard to imagine giving the Great Commission too prominent a place in our thinking, because that is our task. That is our job. So we've seen one alternative way of, um, that some have viewed this idea of mission. Uh, and I just want to point out the magnitude of the discussion. Uh, these ideas uh, need to be discussed. Um, but I, before I move on and look at some of the other people and some of the other ideas that have come up, I want to say that this is largely a conversation among friends. I'm going to mention some names. I'm probably going to mention some people you've read that you've appreciated, maybe even learned a great deal from, and my point is not to disparage a single person that I mention. Uh, but to say that, we can and should engage in conversations with these people. We should be okay disagreeing and, um, and even challenging some of the ideas that are out there without thinking that it has to be a line in the sand that's drawn as a barrier to fellowship or anything of that sort. Before I move on to the next section, any questions? Yeah, Adam. Thank you. This quote is kind of boggling. Um, how do we reconcile that with the last quote from his disciple, Chris? Chris Wright? Uh, yeah, yeah. Are, are they substituting the Great Commission for other commissions? Is so, that what's going on? So they're, they're not going to deny that making disciples is part, is part of the part of the mission. That they're going to want to include everything we're doing in the world as our mission. So God is using his people to bring about a restored cosmos. Um, I'm, I'm hesitant to go too far. I don't want to put too many words in their mouth. But they're going, uh, what we see here in this quote from Wright is everything gets included in mission. Not just the act of making disciples. So when you, are, when you go with a, a relief group to Africa... <coughs> You're doing mission. The relief work itself is mission, not, not the disciple-making part of it. Does that help, Adam? Okay. But I appreciate that clarification. Any other questions? Yeah, Mike. So, so is that the same place Scott has come from, too, is that his, his quote, I'm looking for more of the context of his quote. Yeah, it's completely out of context. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I, I don't have any, any context there. But he's like, him and Wright are largely in the, in the same place. They're, they're wanting to expand what's included in mission. And actually, my, my next section is uh, developing that. What are some of the things that people include in mission that we're going to say, these are things that the Bible talks to, these are good things, there are things that God even calls us to, but we're not going to say that this is the mission of the church. Is that helpful, Mike? Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah, Doug. My, my reaction to that, you know, cherry pick yeah, yeah. quote from uh, John Stott is that a lot of his mission at All Souls in London was to expound the scriptures, to teach, um, 
to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, not just the right, mm-hmm. but in in terms of saturating his congregation with who God is, Father, his role, uh, the Son, the Holy Spirit. All things that you would see as disciple making, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if he's if he's seeing the Great Commission as sort of reductionist into world evangelism, or into social justice, or into racial reconciliation, or whatever else. And maybe what he means by Great Commission there is sort of the reductions of Great Commission that don't include the, the whole Great Commission, which is baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. Part of the teaching, and really the fundamental of the teaching, is who is God. And he did, you know, I don't agree with Stott on everything he taught, but that was sort of his... Uh, so I wonder if maybe he's saying, what about the ordinary means of grace? What about, uh, you know, I, I know that... No, yeah, and that's why I wanted to be real clear, Doug, that I'm, you know, these are friends. When Katie and I went to London, the, the church I wanted to go to was the congregation where he preached. You know, he wasn't preaching that Sunday, but that was where I, we chose to worship the Sunday we were there. So they're friends. My, and I haven't... thought I've read less directly of him. I just found this to be pretty poignant quote, and it could be that it's not. But from what I understand, he did want to include some of the more social work, the relief work, within mission. Um, so, but again, I, I'm getting the conversation started. There's a lot, and if people are talking about these things during potluck today in, in between Sunday school and uh, worship, I'm going to be excited about that, because that's really my main goal, to get you thinking about these things, asking the questions and just uh, getting the conversation started. So as I thought the different ways that people go wrong with mission, it seems like the most common way is people saying that the mission of the church is some way change the world. Now there is a sense in which we can agree with that, because every time a soul is converted to Christ, the world is changed. That's not mainly what I'm talking about here when I say this, that the mission of the church, people make the mission of the church to change the world. And I think we'll see what I mean by that as we look at some specific examples. And there are left-wing and right-wing manifestations of this, for lack of better terms. I'm sorry, they're not precise. I'm not talking about Democrat versus Republican necessary. I'm not even necessarily talking about liberal theology versus conservative theology, but I'm just talking about, generally speaking, what people would see as more left, associate with more leftward movements, versus more rightward movements. And these are two movements that both of them see kind of the purpose of the churches to change the world. They're going to have very different ideas about that. So on the left, we're going to hear a lot of talk about poverty relief, a lot of talk about social justice, even a lot of talk about what they call creation care. And these people have their verses. They have verses like Isaiah, um, Isaiah 117, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. 1 John 3.17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love the words, the words or speech, but with action and in truth. Proverbs 14.31, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. 
in Luke 14, 14. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. These people see things in Scripture that need to be addressed. And we need to be able to answer these as well. The question is, are we going, how are we going to understand these passages in the scope of all that the Scripture says? How are we going to uh, place them and, and what kind of things flow out of them? We can't look at someone who's uh, endorsing a highly uh, progressive socialist agenda and say, well, there's all these, the Bible talks about the poor, and just conclude, well, you must be right in what you think the Bible means by it. We have to think about it. And again, where this book is helpful, it helps put some of these things in context. What is the Bible actually saying about our responsibility to the poor? What is the Bible actually saying about our call to justice? Now, those of you who are familiar with the evangelical world, there's going to be, part of this lesson is some modern history in addressing briefly some names. I can't do full justice to all their ideas, but just kind of give you a glimpse. Uh, Ron Sider, he wrote a well-known book in the 70s, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. He's been an influential figure in what we would call the evangelical left. Another uh, prominent figure in the evangelical left has been uh, Jim Wallace of Sojourners Magazine. And a younger... Uh, I dare to say cool, but that picture does not really make him look that cool. Uh, a younger guy who wrote the book Irresistible Revolution, Shane Claiborne, found this an interesting summary of Claiborne. His theology is an incoherent synthesis which may be, might be described as popularized Christian anarchism for young, disaffected middle-class Americans. <laughs> and I know I just said that I was trying to be charitable toward the people that I want, but... Claiborne is definitely more on the extreme, and I think he's denied the gospel, so I feel a little bit more comfortable uh, reading a highly critical sentence about someone like him. But just to see the idea of the the left-wing side of this idea. Um, And so, has anybody in here read the book In His Steps? Okay. Uh, It was popular, uh, it was massively reprinted in the 90s. Did anybody have a does anybody know what I'm about to say? Yeah. WWJD bracelet? It was coupled with this book. What a lot of people didn't know was that Sheldon was a proponent of the social gospel. Propo- Sheldon was popularizing in fiction form what Walter Rauschenbosch was teaching at the theological level. And Walter Rauschenbosch said the kingdom of God is not a matter of getting individuals to heaven but of transforming the life on earth into the harmony of heaven. So this is going to be a more extreme example of the left-wing version of this, which has actually completely lost the gospel. I do believe that Walter Rauschenbosch actually lost the gospel in his vision for, for social transformation. But there are other forms. There are other more contemporary versions. I mentioned uh, Wallace a, a little bit ago. And a few years back, he had a debate with Al Mohler. I'm guessing some of you are familiar with Albert Mohler of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And they were discussing a lot of the issues that are being talked about in this Sunday school lesson, uh, poverty relief, uh, justice, and the mission of the church. Mohler was defending the position 
that the mission of the church is to go and make disciples. And as they're working some of this out in their debate, at one point in time, Moeller says, what's the good news that people are, bring, are bringing if it's not Christ? And Wallace says, health care. Now, I think, let me be clear. I, I think he was being a little bit tongue-in-cheek because he does, Wallace is going to say that he still believes in, in personal salvation. And he wants to do a both-and but Wallace is going to see a much, much, much higher place for that level of social engagement and see the church as being the agent which God wants to bring that in the world. And then an example that's much closer to home, because I think it's one thing to talk about these people who maybe we don't know or we're not really ever reading, the guys who we agree with on a whole lot of things. And both of these guys, I think we agree with a lot. They're both confessional Presbyterians tied to uh, Covenant uh, College and Seminary. Um, I read a big chunk of this book in preparation, and there's a lot of this book that I liked and found helpful. I think the people working down at Union Gospel Mission likely have read this book and um, would relate to some of these ideas in it. And these guys... I personally found most helpful when they're talking about the practical aspect of working with the poor. And yet in their opening chapter, where they're laying some of the more philosophical uh, foundations for their thought, I found they unfortunately made some, I felt, missteps in broadening the mission or the core calling of the church uh, beyond what it is. And what that results in is them saying stuff like this. North American Christians are simply not doing enough. We are the richest people ever to walk the face of the earth. Period. Most of us live as though there is nothing terribly wrong in the world. We attend our kids' soccer games, pursue our careers, and take beach vacations while 40% of the world's inhabitants struggle just to eat every day. I think there's a part of us that can relate to that. Our American Christians... Do we, are we tempted towards materialism? Yes. Are we tempted towards indifference to the poor? I think so. But I don't know if like really shaming people for being able to enjoy their kids' soccer games, for being able to take a beach vacation, which Pete is doing right now. Okay. Um, is really the right way to go. And I see a statement like this as being an outworking of them, maybe not thinking as clearly about some of this as possible. Again, trying to get a conversation started. I'm guessing maybe some people have read this book and even really enjoyed it and found it helpful, um, just trying to show some of the different uh, sides of this conversation. In fairness, it's not a tropical beach. Yeah, yeah, true, true, <laughs> true. Right after this, he says, I'm not trying to make people feel guilty. Okay. So there's a left-wing side of it. And again, I don't know if these guys would want to be... They're not perfect categories. Those guys are conservative in a lot of ways in the theology. They, conf uh, they confess the Westminster Confession. Um, but I see that more on the kind of thing that we see on the left side than on the right. But before I move to the right, I'm a little bit more nervous to move to the right wing side of things in this church, okay? 
I'll just be honest, but uh, a few things. We need to know, first of all, we can learn from people on the left, even if we disagree with their conclusions. Sometimes that learning is just, they're really challenging us to think about some scriptures which we haven't spent as much time with. Sometimes the engagement with them uh, helps us to articulate our position in contrast with theirs. But I don't want to come across, uh, I recently read a book where the author was continually saying, the people on the left say this, the people on the right, and it was like always like the answer was in the middle, as though that's where we always want to be between the left and the right. I don't think that's the case. Okay, but I do think we need to be aware of the right, and specifically some of the more extreme side representatives of a right-wing manifestation of the idea that the mission of the church is to change the world. So some of the words we hear from the further right-hand side of this conversation is dominion, cultural mandate, transforming the culture. And these guys have their verses too. You hear a lot about Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. They also might appeal to a verse uh, like Matthew 11.12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violence take it by force. These guys are oftentimes very aggressive. Very aggressive. And uh, also, oftentimes, verses like Jeremiah 29.7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. See guys like Abraham Kuyper. Again, I really appreciate a lot of things about Abraham Kuyper. I read this biography. It was excellent. Um, guys like Eric Metaxas. There are things that I really like about Eric Metaxas, and some things he says kind of make me shudder. Okay? But his bio biographies are usually really good. Okay? And uh, probably less likely to be known is this guy named Joe Boot. He used to work for Ravi Zacharias Ministries. Uh, but um, for about 10 years, he's been up in Canada with a group called, he founded a church and a group called the Ezra Institute. And I read one of his books this wet last week on this issue and found some helpful stuff. Um, but for some guys who are actually, the more, again, the more extreme side, uh, right wing side, I forgot that Tanya was teaching Sunday school. I was hoping to see her face expression when I got, brought this guy up because I know she's listened to a few of his podcasts. This is Bojidar Marinov, very intense guy. And he, 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 his desire is to see a Christian civilization established in Eastern Europe. And he thinks that's what the mission of the church is, and he is constantly criticizing those who would have a less, what do you call, like full-orb view of the mission of the church. Because he wants to really see Christians transforming society. One of the results of that is he just ends up being very, very critical of no one. Which, ironically, it seems like if you wanted to really affect real big change, you'd need to like, bring as many people in and have as many uh, connections with other, other Christians, other churches. But what he ends up doing in a lot of ways is just burning bridges because hardly anybody can agree with him. Everybody is falling short. And if, probably, I could only handle listening to like five of his podcasts before I just had to delete it from my feed uh, because it was so negative and so critical of everything other Christians are never doing enough. Joe Boot was a, a, a little bit more moderate. And in fact, there were parts of his book where I was saying, amen, I love this, very helpful. Uh, this quote was one of them. It should come as no surprise that something is amiss among 
modern evangelical churches, whether Reformed, Charismatic, Pentecostal, Baptist, or any other stripe. They're not providing an adequate or consistent response to the challenges of an increasingly anti-Christian culture. On the whole, evangelical leaders seem poorly prepared to equip God's people for the pressing task of applying biblical truth to all of life in an often hostile cultural context. Amen. Okay? And in fact, there's conversations around that that partially led us here. Originally, the conversation was, should we do like a book on critical race theory for the year? Okay? And part of the discussion is trying to do something a little bit broader, which would help lay a foundation for thinking about things like justice and critical race theory. And that's where I ended up. And so, boot, I found myself like nodding in complete agreement some paragraphs, and oftentimes on the very next paragraph he'd say something that I just couldn't get on board with. Because he's very critical of those who would say that the mission of church is making disciples. He said, I discern two common tendencies in response to the question of the gospel's relationship to culture, and by extension the mission of God's people who declare and live that gospel in the world. And they are linked by common root problems. These tendencies in the church today can be seen first in those who greatly overrate the place and the role of the institutional church and its offices. That's where I'm going to part with him. Okay? I, I think I like, it's hard to overrate the place of the Great Commission. It's hard to overplay the role of the institutional church. In this case, the visible institutional church is essentially identified and conflated with the city and kingdom of God, so that what develops, despite a common insistence that they are gospel-centered, is a radically church-centered faith, what I am calling churchianity. And he spends the entire rest of his book very uncharitably criticizing guys like DeYoung, criticizing guys like Mark Dever at um, Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., So, where does that leave us to change the world? We're saying that the mission of the church... Yeah? Is he on the right? Or the yeah, he's on the right. He, he's on the, in the right in the sense of uh, he's going to be more libertarian kind of outlook. He's a theonomist. I don't know if that means anything. He wants to restore the place of the Mosaic law in civic society. And so, he's going to have uh, a little different tendencies than those on the left. So if it isn't to change, the mission is to, is to make disciples and to not, not to change the world, where does that leave us? Well, like I said, there's important conversations to be had. Prior to writing the book, DeYoung had a, a conversation with Tim Keller, and Tim Keller offered some pushback. He said, okay, I see that you're saying the mission is, of the church is to make disciples, but Keller goes on to say, when you say the church's mission is to make disciples, not change the culture, on one level, I'd agree with you as you can see by my answer above. However, you have to disciple people to follow Christ not only inside the church, but outside in the world. I'm only proposing that when you say we must make disciples not do justice or engage the culture, you might give the impression that disciples simply do evangelism, follow up, and recruiting people into the church. But discipleship is more than that. And I think DeYoung took the, the feedback to heart. I think there's still some areas where the two disagree, but they're friends. They, they work together on some things. And um, again, these are, that, that shows that if we're going to say that the mission of the church is to make disciples, how do we fit all the other pieces in with that? 
And that's largely where I'm leaving you guys. I'm leaving you with that question, because that's what the book is for. That's what our Sunday school lessons are going to be for, answering those. I really wanted to leave with some positive examples of this, because you might be left thinking, if the mission of the church is to make disciples, we're all just going to be ingrown, we're going to bunker down and not care about the world outside of us. And just to show you that that doesn't have to be the case, I'm just going to very quickly go through those examples because we're out of time. Robert Woodridge wrote a really uh, fascinating paper saying that those missionaries which focused most on conversion, most on sharing the gospel, most on making disciples rather than a relief of the poor, in the long run actually ended up having more of a social impact than those who went out and said, we're going to go to Africa and just um, set up a lot of hospitals and food banks. That when they changed people's hearts, change resulted from it. It didn't result from going out with the intention of alleviating poverty. Capitol Hill Baptist Church, Mark Dever, Jonathan Lehman, they very much share uh, Kevin DeYoung's understanding of the mission of the church, and they have a very similar situation. Dever is adamant about what the mission of the church is, yet their church also has a reputation for having had a massive positive impact on the community around them. And Marvin Alasky is a figure that I found very helpful in thinking about a lot of this stuff over the past month or so. And what I like about him, he, he's a Presbyterian elder, and he's very engaged in social issues. He's very engaged, but he never makes it the ultimate thing for the church. He never makes claims that he's building the kingdom. He never makes claims that he's transforming the culture. But he sees his task as to be a faithful ambassador of God out in the world. He is doing his best that he can within the realms which God has placed him in. And I wanted to just leave here to say that I'm not saying that there's no place for justice, no place for work with the poor. I hope there is, but we have to place it rightly within the context of the church's fundamental and primary calling, which is to make disciples. With that, let's pray. Gracious Father, it's a blessing to be with your people. I pray that your spirit would be among us. I pray that your spirit would even stir us to conversation around these things. These are things that need to be discussed. These are things that need to be dis- uh, thought about and things that would need to be engaged with in charity. So I pray that that would be the case, that we as a church would grow as we think about these things, and that we would always be turning back to say, what does your word say? What does the scripture call us to? And seeking to answer it faithfully in that way. Uh, may you bless us as we gather uh, to worship you in the name of your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Yeah.